You're listening to the Farmyard Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Farmyard and Farmyard's Mighty Network. Well, hello there. This is Linda Borgie from Farmyard, and I welcome you to the Farmyard Podcast, episode number 2021, signifying the first episode in the year 2020. Now, just as a little bit of a, you know, background, I have not podcasted since December of 2019. That's a long time. And the reason is because there really wasn't anything that moved me to podcast. But up until a couple of weeks ago, I am a biodynamic farmer, by the way, and a couple of weeks ago, a young couple uh, put out on Facebook that they were having a study group starting June 11th, uh, studying uh, Dr. Steiner's agriculture course. So I immediately signed up, and upon signing up, I was told that this young couple took on the monumental task of translating the entire body of work called the agriculture course given to us by Rudolf Steiner. Well, I immediately contacted them and asked them if they would come on a podcast and answer a few questions for all of humanity, and they agreed. Now, let me tell you, one hour before the podcast was due to be recorded, the power went out in this whole development here in Brooksville, Florida. But we were able to record from their end, their part, and I called in on the phone. But the recording of my questions on the phone, they were horrible. So I went in and edited them and took all of that out. And I'm re-recording all those questions now. So if it's a little choppy, you know, give me a little bit of slack because I am not an audio video editor. I am a farmer, okay? But I want you to be able to listen to it in a pleasant way so that you get the information, all right? Well, I'm so happy to be back. I've got to tell you, I do have an awful lot to talk about now that it's 2020, and this is episode 2021. So it is truly my great pleasure to introduce Stuart and Natalie, Perennial Root Farm on the eastern shore of Virginia. And I have met them, I had the honor of meeting them a few years back um, live and in person on their farm. Very impressed, very deep thinkers. Welcome. And let's start off with, how long have the two of you been farming? Well, we got involved in farming um, oh, 10 years ago now. Uh, we moved down to the eastern shore of Virginia. Both of us had been in uh, college. Uh, I'd been out for a year working. Uh, Natalie was fresh out of college when we moved down here. But we got married and started the farm at the same time, which is... That's quite a shift. 
really agree. That sure is quite a shift. Fresh out of college, and there you go. Homesteading, is that what you were doing? Or was it your determination to be farmers when you first landed on that piece of property? No. Uh, no, it- <laughs> not at all. It was like we originally, we wanted to kind of start a homestead, reduce waste, grow as much food um, as we possibly could, live off the land as much as we could, um, reduce expenses. But it kind of started spiraling out. And within a couple years, we were a farm and selling our produce at markets. And we had all sorts of animals. And <laughs> There's that, that moment when we stopped referring to it as a homestead. And I, I can't really pinpoint when it was and when we start calling it a farm. And, uh, and then one point, you realize that you're a farmer. I certainly firsthand can relate to that situation. I am the oldest of eight in an Italian family of famous fine art dealers. I am the only farmer and had no one, absolutely no one, to show me the ropes, so to speak. So I learned more or less from the ground up, but from the very first time, I put those seeds in my hand and I planted them and they grew well, down the rabbit hole I went. And I went really far down, down as far as encountering biodynamics when I was 35. At the age of 35, I was the very first intern in Chestnut Ridge, New York, on the Pfeiffer Center Garden. And this particular area is where biodynamics entered the country. And I'm 65 now, so that was many, many, many moons ago. When you began your homestead, your farm, was it your intention to start seeing the principles of biodynamics? Yeah, so our farm, like we did not start off biodynamically. Um, We didn't really have any background at all. We didn't know about it. We started off doing like some permaculture, regenerative ag, Um, but what really piqued our interest was I read this article in Acres Magazine about biodynamic farming and specifically what got me interested is, um, harvesting. And when you harvest, um, according to specific phases of the moon, um, you'll get, uh, more flavorful produce. I think specifically fruit, that's what the article is talking about. But when I read that, I was immediately like, Stuart, you should read this because I think you'll find mm-hmm. this fascinating. So you started to investigate and research and read about biodynamics. How long did it take you before you started to apply some of those principles on your homestead? To, I think two years after we moved here. Yep. So like 2012, probably, maybe yep. even early 2011. And that was the, that marked a point where we started to really investigate biodynamics as something uh, just worth looking into. And it took a long time because uh, we were, we were pretty skeptical at first. And in many respects, we're still skeptical of some claims, but, uh, <laughs> but we had to read a lot. Um, Natalie and I are both 
I were pretty well read. You are very humble to say that you're pretty well read. Both of you, my goodness, the list of works that you're reading and have read really blow me away. And I would love for you to share that with the listeners right now as well. Um, I don't know. Natalie's reading Ovid's Metamorphosis. She's reading Women Who Run With Wolves. Uh, Robert Frost is her light reading. She's reading Hannah Arendt right now. This And like Stuart, he's always been into Goethe philosophy like we're really big readers to begin with and um like a lot of people that come over to our house they're always like i've never seen so many books we're kind of huge nerds in that way so steiner you know in some ways it was perfect for us to approach because we're already big readers um we want to investigate and research so that was already very more i would say more accessible to us than it would be for a lot of people Mm -hmm. Because that's just our mode of thinking. We uh, now, when it comes to some of Steiner's lectures, which are let's face it, they're students' notes that were written down, often in a haste, and then maybe never really reviewed uh, until years later, and then published. Um, Steiner never got a look at any of these things. He never got to edit them. He never proofed them. Uh, there are only a couple that he did uh, actually review and proof. So. They're, they're littered with errors and they can't help but be because like even let's let's use the agriculture course as an example. The people taking the notes weren't farmers and then the people compiling them later weren't farmers and then the people translating them into English later weren't farmers. So at each step, there's a possibility for confusion. If I recall correctly, I believe I was told that Rudolf Steiner never came to a lecture with notes in his hand. Is that correct? Steiner had a way of uh, delivering a, a talk or a lecture. Um, it would usually center around a specific problem or question. And um, he would articulate the problem, um, kind of yeah. summarize the situation. For example, the agriculture course, it's declining nutrition, declining health. Um, yeah. Seed germination rates are going down. Soil is deteriorating. Pests are getting worse. And then he would dive into answering that. Um, he would only have memorized um, an opening line and a closing line and then let the rest kind of spontaneously flow out. Now, he brought notes with him, but none of it was scripted. Um, he would bring notes just as prompts, as reminders of, oh, yeah, I'm going to talk about this. But even in the agriculture course, we, um, we have um, we have access to his actual notes. And he didn't get to everything because, again, he's not scripted. So the things that didn't make it into the body of the agriculture course that yeah, really probably should have. Or the, maybe he did get to it and the note takers just forgot to write that part down. But, um, yeah, Steiner didn't come in pre-prepared. He's even at the time of the agriculture course, he was delivering, um, other lectures simultaneously. Um, just, he would go to the evening to Breslau and give a whole other set of lectures on a totally different topic. I believe he was giving the karma lecture series at the same, uh, during the same time period as the lectures in Koberwitz. Now, didn't, uh, Rudolf Steiner pass away a year after giving the lectures on the agriculture course? Yeah, he died shortly after delivering these. And it, it's very interesting. If you look at the timeline of his life, he had a very interesting 
beginning in philosophy and the philosophy of science, where he published works on Goethe and edited some of Goethe's works. Um, he even talked about how Goethe uh, was a terrible speller. As brilliant as Goethe was, he couldn't spell to save his life. And so he needed to be heavily edited. So uh, Steiner uh, took that on early in his life. And those early works that Steiner himself proofed and edited are still still have some really solid information in them. Then there's a long period of a lot of lectures, which, again, Steiner didn't revise or edit. And that's where you're going to find the most errors. Uh, at the end of his life, right around the time where Steiner gives the agriculture course, he also gives Waldorf, Eurythmy, uh, Anthroposophical yeah. Medicine. All of this stuff just comes pouring out of him right at that end. And I think he knew he was on his way out. And he's just really close to the threshold. And a lot of things were flowing through him. What gave you the energy or the insight or the desire to take on the monumental task of translating this course of work into everyday farmer and gardener language? You know, I think biodynamics, um, originally, it was kind of like a pioneer and a visionary movement at the forefront of the regenerative ag movement in the early 1900s. And today, it's kind of lagged behind. It's now kind of on the fringe and the edges um, of the regenerative ag movement. It's kind of looked down on as kind of like the strange cousin that people like to forget about. It has a lot of weird things that people don't get. And... I don't really think there's a good reason for that other than the fact that Steiner's writings, particularly the agriculture course, it's just so completely inaccessible um, to farmers. And you know what? I'm a big reader. I love reading. I think it's just a map. In many ways, this is music to my ears because when I was the first interned at the Pfeiffer Center Garden, we naturally studied the agriculture course one paragraph at a time. I understood nothing and I thought it was just me. No, no, it is a mess. And the thing is, like, he desperately needed a really good editor to compile all the different people's notes and to make sense of it. Cause like, that's another thing. It's based on all these different people's notes. And sometimes the same idea just keeps repeating itself over and over sentence after sentence in these different confusing ways. And it just, yeah, it, he really needed an editor. And I really do think that the reason why biodynamics is not a bigger movement, especially like with younger first generation farmers like us is because, course is just it's viewed as like so impractical um and inaccessible if you read the agriculture course and it and then the and the current translations that are available and it doesn't feel like you're reading about farming i feel like that's a problem because he gave it to farmers and yet if the translation doesn't feel like it's about farming uh there's 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 a there's an error there and uh, it's about making awful. it feel like that. Because, yeah, because, and, and again, I, I think in some ways it has to be because all the translators, they did as well as they could. 
And when they didn't yeah. understand a passage, they had to translate it word for word because they didn't understand the farming context. And that's why some of the confusion is there because people are trying to be as faithful as they can to the text when they don't understand the farming. And uh, I think it could be made so much clearer. Someone should pick up the agriculture course and go, oh, I already do some of that. This makes a lot of sense. Oh, that's why I'm doing that. Well, now I can apply it to not just my beets, but to my radishes and my brassicas over here and all of these other plants. This way of seeing things applies to all these other things. Whereas if each passage is translated kind of in a silo without understanding how it all integrates into a whole, into farming as a whole, it's going to be very confusing. And we're trying to change that and make it, make people realize that some, a lot of people are already using these principles without necessarily calling it moon or Saturn or whatever you want. Because Steiner warned that a hundred years ago, if we didn't start incorporating these principles consciously, uh, we'd run out of food and the earth would stop producing. Well, we haven't quite done that, which means that we are already incorporating some of these principles. Yeah. I mean, what else is cover cropping, rotational grazing, uh, uh, rot- rotating your crops in the garden, uh, hedgerows, buffer strips? We are incorporating a lot of these things, even if we don't necessarily use um, Steiner's language. Well, I surely had a very difficult time having to analyze every verb, preposition, and noun. And honestly, it lost me from the get-go. I think it goes back to that same idea of if you don't understand the passage and its context, all you can do is translate word by word by word and then stick to that dogmatically because you don't understand why you're doing it. Um, So I think there's actually a, a dangerous tendency within many movements, especially movements that incorporate what we call spiritual elements of actually becoming enamored with um, things being confusing. And it, cause it's, it, it evokes this perpetual feeling of uh, almost enchantment because you know, you don't quite understand it. And there's actually an, even an opposition uh, from figures in power who want to maintain this confusion so that they can maintain almost a guru status. Like if it's confusing, then people always have to seek out the guru rather than if the text is clear, you can find out everything for yourself and then you're empowered to do it all yourself on your own farm, regardless of whether, whether you call yourself biodynamic, regardless of whether or not you technically are card carrying anthroposophists, the fact that the text remains confusing means we need a priesthood to tell us what it means. And we're basically about abolishing that priesthood. Well, here's a question I would like both of you to answer. What would you like the reader of your new translation to walk away with insofar as value is concerned? For me, I really hope the reader of our new translation walks away with a lot of practical um, application value. And especially um, far young first-generation farmers like us, I hope that they read it and they go, wow, 
I don't actually have to buy in nitrogen for my farm for the rest of my farming life. I can actually create nitrogen on my farm with the right ingredients. Or, wow, all of these weeds I see everywhere, they actually have real value. I don't just constantly have to be weeding and destroying them. I can use nettles. I can use dandelions. I can use pokeweed, all these different things. They have value and can help heal and regenerate the land. So I really hope like it's practical value. And also that when they read it, they can gain this insight um, from the first read through. They don't have to struggle through sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph, trying to make sense and figure out what on earth Steiner's talking about, but that it's accessible from the beginning and that they can immediately use these principles, these insights that he's giving on their farming operation to help heal the land. It's, it's all, like for me, uh, some of this it's like uh, the confusion around the agriculture course. It's a bit like, like let's say you have two missionaries come to your door. They'll ask, have you accepted Jesus into your heart? And that's where they start. Um, they don't dive into the minutia of like Trinitarian theology right off the bat. And yet that's what some of these anthroposophists want us to do with the agriculture course. Because God forbid you actually put it to practice. Um, think about it perfect your method and don't act. So some people are going to say there's an, an aromonic influence in what we're doing. Other people are going to accuse us of a loose influence. It might be best to explain both of those influences. Anthroposophy and kind of the umbrella movement out of which uh, biodynamics grew, they're kind of two rival forces. There's kind of the Christ or Buddha impulse in the center. And then to one side, there's Araman, where things harden too much. And then other side, there's Lucifer, where things want to evaporate and lose their form. You need both. Like if your arteries, for example, don't have Araman and Lucifer working together, you're dead. On the one hand, you die of arteriosclerosis. Other other side, you die of uh, necrosis. Your, your arteries rot or they harden and calcify. You need both working together in harmony. So if we're being accused of both, I honestly hope we're accused of both because that'll be an indication that we're actually closer to the center on this. But this confusion around it is uh, totally unnecessary. When, when a farmer should read the agriculture course and see what they're doing in a new light and be able to approach their farm in a new way so that the farm as a unique living organism isn't approached with a method. Assume, I have a problem with the term holistic because every time I find someone is using the term holistic, they're often instead uh, selling you a method. And a method is which you can cut and paste from one place to another is never actually going to be as holistic as it pretends to be. A real holistic biodynamic approach will consider the climate of your place, the geology and history of that place. It'll consider you and what you want to grow. And then it will start to incorporate the biodynamic preparations, how you use compost, how you think of the planetary processes, but it will be distinct. And actually it should be. When Steiner says we should develop a personal relationship with manure and ways of manuring, that's really what he's talking about. It's going to be different for each place. And that's the thing. If biodynamics doesn't look different on every farm, 
I would actually challenge whether or not it's biodynamics. And another, I think, very important thing to remember is that Steiner said the agriculture force is the intellectual property of farmers. It's for farmers. So this is like basically it's our right. This new generation of regenerative farmers, it's their right. This is their course. And Steiner said that, he did say that it is the agriculture course is belongs to farmers, the practical farmers, and is their intellectual property. So we're just taking charge of what is already ours. Even if you're a gardener, for example, and well, you're like, well, I can't have cows. I can't even have sheep. Well, maybe you can have rabbits. And even if you can't have rabbits, you're still going to be tending all these invisible creatures in the soil, whether you think of microbes or fungi or pill bugs or earthworms, you're a shepherd of these invisible things, but you're still, you can still be a farmer on a very small scale and make that small plot a self-sufficient living entity. So this isn't some abstract stuff that is irrelevant to practical life. The only meaning in this agriculture course is if it's practical and if it works. And uh, the truth is that it does, but this translation is about showing new ways, even surprising ways, in which that it can work and develop into the future. Well, I, for one, am extremely excited about starting the study group on June the 11th. I almost feel as if I'm like the inner group that's going to take this translation and bring it deeper into our beings to digest it and to come up with just wonderful impulses. And I'm sure that everyone else is going to have the same feelings. So right now, I think it's really important for both of you to let us know how the listeners can stay connected to each of you, both on social media and for workshops, lectures, and study groups like this. Uh, Well, our first study group has actually sold out. I've I've capped it because I want to keep the group intimate. I mean, once you're over 20 people, which we already are, um, and it's, I would think, even if every person only got three minutes that's a full hour already. So we have to keep it small so that everybody has a chance to ask their questions. But uh, we've created a wait list um, for a fall winter version of the same study group. Um, And we'll be offering that on our website. People can sign up there. In addition, we're also offering uh, for people who didn't make it to the live online uh, study group, the ability to follow along with the recordings from that study group and the translation themselves. Now they won't have the opportunity to ask questions live during the groups themselves, but uh, they'll be able to follow everything and at their own pace. For example, if Thursdays don't work for someone, they can subscribe this way and still have the access to the study group results. And I think it's really important that the translation at this point, because it's still a draft, that it comes out with the context of the conversations around it and not just released out to the world. I will include everything in the show notes, but why don't you just run down the list of your website and your social media connections? Yeah, it's perennial roots, uh, perennial roots.com. Uh, we're also on Facebook, perennial roots farm. 
and on Instagram, also Perennial Roots Farm. And uh, we we offer different webinars uh, and con- consultations between the two of us. We travel and do workshops as well. And uh, the translation is just our latest pet project. Um, and it's going to be really interesting. It's already in a readable form. We have over 400 footnotes sourcing from Steiner's other works, Paracelsus, classics. And um, it's going to be, it's really, it's meant to be a translation for practical farmers. It's not about whether it is the most literal translation. It's about whether it's the most agricultural translation. Well, it's been a total delight having both of you on my first episode in 18 months, episode number 2021, the first episode of this year. And I'm sure there's going to be an awful lot more because we can't leave them hanging now, can we? We have to update them. Thank you so much for coming on, kiddos. I will catch you on the flip side. Well, there you go. Another successful podcast. There will be many more. But if you enjoy this information, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And also go to seed.farm-a-yard.com. That's seed, S-E-E-D. And check out Farmer Yard's Mighty Network. There's an awful lot of information in there, such as, would you like to open your own seed library or a 30-day plan from seed to belly? Check it out. Well, once again, I will catch all of you on the flip side.